everyone, and welcome to Classroom Chatter. Uh, to say I am fired up about tonight is an understatement. I think Beth will be a fantastic guest. She has an awesome story. She also is one of my favorite human beings in the game of baseball, super selfless, super helpful, super knowledgeable, and always there uh, to improve everyone around her. Uh, Beth, welcome to the show. Thank you. Those are some very kind words. Um, definitely, definitely glad that you're coaching close to UC so that we got to meet. So definitely That's, the same goes to you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Well, I appreciate the program. It's super uh, helpful for me in my development as a coach and as a human being. And I'm just so glad that uh, you're on staff there because uh, you're in a, a fantastic add to the program and a perfect fit for those guys, and they are definitely benefiting from you. Uh, so I always start the show with a few getting to know you questions. Um, they're usually school related since it's typically a teacher um, education type podcast. But with that being said, we also go in the realm of coaching and leadership uh, because education and the role of teacher uh, goes across different fields. So my first question to you, Beth, is what was your favorite subject in school and why? Yeah, that's a, a tough question. I, I didn't really have a favorite or least favorite, but um, my favorite category is probably the science classes, the physics and chemistry, those types of classes. I really liked the more hands-on uh, science experiments or uh, problem-solving type subjects. So definitely the physics, uh, chemistry, math, those kinds of subjects. So that kind of makes me branch off to a question here. So would you say you're kind of a hands-on kind of tactile learner? Uh, yeah, probably, which is interesting. Um, yeah. I, I feel like there's a lot of people think that they're more tactile learners, but um, we tested our players this semester to see what kind of learners they were. Um, and apparently, more, a lot of people are visual learners, which I wasn't expecting that, at least on our team. So that's definitely an interesting question. What were some tests that you guys used to, to be able to learn their learning styles? Um, I don't remember which we used off the top of my head, but we used one of the online quizzes that asked you questions about um, the different ways you like to study and if you learn better certain ways. Um, I can send you the link to the test we used um, afterwards but it, it came up with, they either got visual, tactile, or auditory, and almost all of our players were visual learners. That's awesome. I love those tests. We took, uh, we took one of those for um, team development for the summer job that I had, and I remember I used to be completely visual. I mean, it was just everything was visual, and now um, auditory has, has kind of caught up with it, so it's pretty interesting to me. Kind of the light bulb moment kind of came over me and, and made me realize that, man, students and, and players, they can, they can adapt and learn in different ways just based off of the environment they're around too, which I think is pretty cool. So that's awesome. I'll definitely, I'll probably throw that in the show notes if you don't mind uh, the test. Since it's online, people can access it pretty easily. Um, here's my favorite question that I'll ask all day. Um, so what was your favorite lunch day item at school and why? Oh gosh. Um, so 
I don't know if it's still a thing, but when I was in elementary school, they had, they were like little triangular little pouches that had like frozen juice in them. Um, I don't know if you had those when you were a kid, but those are always the best. Um, I guess they counted that as a fruit back in the day. Um, They probably probably aren't healthy enough to to make it into the cut anymore, Um, but those were my favorites. Oh my gosh. That was ironically, that was one of my favorite things. One of my favorite things. Like it was like either the, it was uh, the peaches for me. That's what it was. It was the peaches. Um, Oh man, I could still taste it. And I just, now I want some peaches. I'm fired up for that. That is awesome. That might be, that might be um, the best (laughs) answer so far. If not, that's a top tier answer uh, for sure. (laughs) Top tier answer. So uh, what was your, uh, who was your favorite teacher in your education career and why? What separated them? Um, that's also a tough question because I think the teachers that I consider my favorite now probably weren't my favorite or definitely weren't my favorite at the time. In fact, I probably hated those classes the most, but I think looking back, the teachers that that challenged me the most were my favorite. So in, in, in high school, I had a history teacher who every single day we would show up and we would take a quiz on what we learned in the the class before. And it was maybe five to 10 question quiz. And we only had five to 10 minutes, depending on how long she thought we needed for the quiz. Um, And it was just a quiz on what we learned the class before, whether it was uh, yesterday or whatever. Um, And, and, after we took the quiz, the rest of the class was just like one big giant story time. She would start where we left off the day before and just start telling the history. Um, It was a U.S. history class, so um, it started about Revolutionary War and ended up in like uh, pretty close to current. I think it was, I don't remember where we stopped, but she told the the history in a story, um, which made it a little bit more interesting, and it wasn't like we were just learning some some dates and people's names. It was it was a a story. Um, I think that in that class we learned. We, I, I learned to listen because we didn't. She didn't. She would write down key names and key dates, but the the main stories were you had to listen to what she was saying and understand the story in order to to be successful in the class. I hated it at the time because the quizzes felt like they were so difficult. It felt like we did so much work, but I think I, I learned a lot more in that class than I did in others. Um, and then a second close to a second close favorite teacher um, in college, I had an archeology span teacher who, she basically had us doing the same stuff you would do if you were at a dig site, which was really difficult because it was on a location we had never been. It was a dig site in Syria and she just gave us the data. Um, at the time it was a lot of work, but then I went to an actual dig site and I was like, wow, this class is actually useful. I hated it at the time, but it's the most useful class I've ever had. So I think the the classes that challenged me and, and pushed me past just learning um, what I thought was I needed to pass the test and learning useful skills were the best classes, best teachers. 
yeah, there's a few things jumping off uh, to me there. It was, you know, being challenged, um, putting in life skills, and, and also um, making things um, engaging for the students. I think all great coaches do all three of those things. I know we, you know, podcast-wise, like Stick and Ball, where, I mean, Sheets literally talks about um, not only it's, it's um, I think it's person, student, and player in that order and, and pouring into each of those areas every single day and making things engaging. And uh, it sounds like what, uh, what your teacher, your teachers were doing there were, were pouring into the person, the student, uh, in both of those areas every single day. And that's pretty important. It seemed to have um, left a, a pretty big mark on your life there. Um, so that's pretty impressive. That's pretty cool to hear. It's a nice takeaway. Um, my next question is, did you always go, want to go into coaching? And if not, what do you want to be? Uh, no, but the answer is definitely no. I did not always want to go into coaching. Uh, I've got a few careers started and abandoned at this point. I, um, I started out at school thinking I wanted to be a music major. I played the flute. Um, in the oboe I wasn't I wasn't very good but at first I went in thinking that's what I wanted to do figured out pretty quickly that I was not good enough or didn't want to practice enough to be able to do that um and I also didn't think I would enjoy uh teaching music I, I just wasn't passionate enough about it to be good at that um and I still I still did a marching band and uh concert band throughout my college years uh, for fun but that for that for me that was more fun um, so then I took my sophomore year I took an archaeology class and I was like oh this is awesome uh, as a kid I always said I wanted to be an archaeologist so I took the class for fun and then I ended up liking it so I majored in archaeology um, and that was that was good I really did enjoy archaeology and I I dug at a site in Wales um, at an Iron Age hill fort. Uh, that was fun. We woke up every morning, climbed to the top of a mountain and played in the dirt basically. Um, but then I found out that in order to continue with the archeology span that I enjoyed, I would have to do a lot more school. Um, and the path to get to where I wanted to be, what didn't really interest me. So I started I had also in my archaeology classes, I took some classes in geographic information systems or GIS for short, um, which is basically like uh, using computers to do to make maps and do analysis with maps and map data. Um, so I did that. Uh, I got a job with the local government doing that for a few years. I did that for three years um, and I enjoyed it, but I I started playing baseball and that was when I I kind of knew like this is what I want to do. I started playing and then I started doing research in baseball, got involved in like the analytics side, did a little bit of research there and decided that it wasn't close enough to the game for me. So then I started uh, looking into coaching positions and, and then I ended up where I am now at UC. So it's kind of the story of how I got to where I am and also all of the different things that I did before coaching. So I've kind of been through a few different careers there. 
That's pretty cool. That's a really good story. I've always wanted to wanted to hear that story, um, how you got into coaching and and you got your journey into into falling in love with baseball. That's a pretty cool story. Um, you may not know this, but in Charleston, um, there is a um, an area that used to be a Civil War fort. I think there's Rutherford B. Hayes and William McKinley. Both um, I think both were in that area. Um, so that's a pretty cool little little place. It's not very well known. It's around a bunch of houses, but I hadn't actually had an archaeology class at West Virginia State. And uh, we went around and we went there and it was a pretty little cool little place when you saw the Civil War images of what the fort looked like compared and you could see kind of where the grass has gone over it, but you can tell where everything was. That's pretty cool. So that's awesome. That's really cool. It's really cool. So which individuals helped you find out that you wanted to be a coach? Were there any individuals or was it more so based off of you? Uh, I don't know if there's like specifically one individual who helped me figure out I wanted to be a coach, but there's definitely individuals along the way who helped me get to that path. Um, so the first would just be a couple of the women that I played baseball with. Um, I think what I learned, uh, I played, so I played in a women's league out in the DC, Washington, DC area. Um, and a bunch of the women in that league kind of taught me that like, it's okay to like baseball um, more than what, than, than what like uh, you would expect for a woman. And what I mean by that is um, like a lot of, a lot of girls are expected to know the basics of baseball, but nobody's, it's, expected to like get deep into it which is it's a bad expectation because a lot of there's a lot of women who love baseball and a lot of women who know a lot about the sport it's just a culture of the game um so I think what I learned there is that it's okay to like things that you're not supposed to like I guess um based on culture not on like what you actually like um so that kind of allowed me to dive into baseball to begin with. Um, and then after I started doing a little bit of research, I was kind of just hanging out on Twitter. Um, and then that's when I started talking to someone named Jeff Long. Um, he currently works for a major league team, um, but he kind of found me, I guess, and um, started to teach me about what he, he had uh, his research at the time he before he started working for a team he was doing research on pitch tunneling um, so I kind of learned from him uh, I guess the lay of the land and he kind of got me introduced to the more analytics side of player development and started to research that um, and he introduced me to baseball prospectus which is a baseball website um, they post writing every day and they publish a book every year um, on like usually like the main uh, thing that they do is baseball prospects kind of like a scouting uh, overview for the public um, so and then there another person who also works at baseball prospectus is Harry Pavlidis he kind of um, helped me figure out that uh, doing an analytics stuff is not for me. Um, taught me a lot about computer coding, that kind of stuff, and um, kind of helped me figure out what I like. Um, 
and then I guess I have to say Coach Britt, I mean, he's on this call, but I was already into coaching, but he's helped me a lot um, along the way from when I started coaching to now. I think he would agree that I've come a long way and learned a lot about coaching. So those are probably the, the four people that are the most notable. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, I can agree Coach Britt's a really awesome guy. I'm not just saying that because he's on the call, but it's the truth. Um, really awesome guy. Uh, but we'll say this. Uh, first time I met you, uh, Beth, I thought you you were going to be an excellent coach. Um, you definitely um, – it's, it's I'm sure it's a, a daring thing. I, I have no – I mean, I have no clue. It, I mean, it, to be honest with you, you're a pioneer in college baseball. I don't know if you'd like to, <laughs> to hear that, but um, you are because – um, you're one of the first women that uh, is an assistant or coach in college baseball. That's pretty cool. Um, I was super excited when I heard the news because I thought that was a really, really awesome thing uh, that Charleston did, and, and it's also made them better um, because you bring a lot of awesome knowledge and, and awesome perspective uh, to the college game, and it only improves the college game. That's why I was fired up about uh, your hire, and I'm super glad you're there. And no doubt about it, you're laying a uh, good groundwork or a good um, foundation there uh, to only improve the Golden Eagles. So super glad you're there. No, no, they mostly make me better. So, well, you pour, you all pour, pour into each other. And that's the most important thing um, any uh, coaching staff and, and, you know, any relationship goes into. It's, you know, you're pouring into each other every day um, and learning from each other every day. And you can't ask more than that. So yeah. what did um, so what advice would you give educators on helping students chase after their goals, especially in the realm of I'm guess I'm going with you know you being um, a pioneer in the game of baseball. So um, what advice would you give educators and school systems in regards to helping students uh, to to go after the goals that they feel like they they technically can't because of culture. Um. I think there's a couple parts, a couple pieces of advice I'd give. The first is to not let other people set your goals, or I guess if, if you're the teacher, is to not set the goals for your students or players. Let them set their goals and in that way that they're following their passions and not what you think their pass passions should, should be. Um, I think there's a lot of people along the way in my, in my journey told me like, oh, you should do analytics or you should be a scout when I had already kind of decided that I wanted to do coaching. Um, so I think that's the first part. Um, and then once, once you have the set goal is to stick with it, um, even if people are telling you uh, not to, to do something different or that you're not good at something stick with it but also be flexible so uh, maybe if allow your goals to change I guess so like you heard just a minute ago I've done a lot of different things um, thought I wanted to be an archaeologist thought I wanted to be a map maker now I'm a baseball coach so obviously the flexibility is not an issue for me but I think if I hadn't tried each 
each of those things, I wouldn't have made it where I am and the journey to get there, sorry, drop something, um, has helped me um, to be a better coach. I've learned a lot. I, I learn a lot of the stuff that I learned as an archeologist, as a uh, math maker, and various odd jobs I've had here and there all contribute to who I am as a coach. So I think um, just be your own self, be yourself, I guess. Yeah, I think we need to, um, as coaches and teachers and leaders really in the community, um, be open to um, to what your students and players want to accomplish and their goals. And that's what's essentially coming out um, that I'm super excited about because um, the world is changing in a positive way. I think, um, you know, I think baseball only improve um, with um, allowing everyone uh, to be part of it because you need to base everything based off of who's the best candidate of the job, no doubt about it. Um, you're definitely one of the best candidates of the job and you got, you got the job because you're the best candidate there. And so that's why uh, I'm so glad you're in the college game. Uh, my next question is regarding based off of your experiences and other fields. Um, what are some things that you brought in to uh, coaching um, from those experiences and the other jobs? Um, so I, so I did, I know that you're, this is like an education podcast. So I did do some work. I worked as an administrative assistant on a grant that um, it was the point of the grant was a continuing education class for uh, elementary school uh, math and science teachers. And they learned to, they were learning how to write different types of lesson plans that were to teach by inquiry. So there's different um, levels that the students took um, to creating their own science or math experiments. Um, so I learned a lot about lesson plans because I spent a lot of time editing, like editing lesson plans for publication, whether it's the way it looks or like the actual text in the lesson plan. So I learned a lot about lesson plans during that. And I think that the organization of the way that lesson plans are designed has helped me um, have a better idea of how to, to structure a practice, which I don't do a whole lot of that, um, but it, I, and this is one thing that I think Coach Britt is really good at um, is, is structuring lesson plans in a way that long-term has a goal and short-term has a focus that helps to reach that goal. And I think some of that is similar um, to the way you would teach in the classroom. Um, and I think that has helped a lot. Um, then with archeology, span this one, is a little bit abstract because digging in the dirt doesn't seem like it would have a lot to do with baseball, but I think a lot of the methods that are used in archeology span are important, especially because uh, data collection is important to baseball, especially in the last couple of years with the um, increase of use in technology to track players' development. Um, so with archaeology, when you're collecting data, you have one chance because when you're digging up the, something in the ground, you basically are destroying your 
data as you collect it. So you have one chance to get it right. Um, so whether that, to not get into the, too much of the technical side of it, if that's, if you, if you scrape off a layer of soil and you don't know, and you find an artifact and you don't know where, where you found it, you might misstate your artifact. You might uh, lose the relationship of where it's found with another artifact and those kinds of things. Um, there's a lot of technical sides to it, uh, but you have, it requires a lot of planning. So you don't lose that information before you have time to analyze it. Um, so the planning and methods of collecting archeology span data is useful. Um, especially with like tracking player development. Um, not directly related, but a lot of the methods are. So there's a couple ways that things have helped me in baseball. Well, all, all the things that you mentioned go directly into teaching and coaching. I mean, data collection. Uh, it, and I think, oh, I could, I could go down a rabbit hole here. Well, it comes to data collection, like you said, and, and I think with archaeology is really in the moment, the instance you're in, uh, there's a lot of similarities to, to different instances, but it's unique in its own way. It may not ever happen again too, right? So that's, that's kind of a scary thing to think about with data collection, both in the classroom and on the diamond, because there's probably not going to be another moment quite like the one you're in. So... Um, that puts a, you know, it puts a little bit of pressure, you know, th just thinking about it, it's a little bit of pressure on, on the teacher and coach because if we're collecting data to create the best lesson plan, um, both short term and long term, um, we need to get it right. Uh, I think that's, I think that's what we're getting there with and it puts a lot of pressure, man. N next week, I'm going to be, I might be a little, a little fired up to get everything right because, um, as you said, you know, you typically get a shot at, at the one moment you're in to do things right. So that's really interesting. I think teachers and coaches are both going to like that because we need to literally live in the moment uh, with, with having Alan Yeager on and, and, and Perry Cortuccio on. We both talked about, you know, being in the moment, but man, I, did, I don't think I ever recognized that being in the moment and data collection and teaching, I, didn't, I don't think I'd, I'd really made that connection before. So that's awesome. That's a really good connection there. Yeah, I think sort of related um, in the classroom and on the baseball field, similar to archaeology, is if if you miss if you take an assessment but you don't keep the scores or you don't track the information, and you know then when you want the information later, you can't go back and say, oh, I don't remember how the or how did the players do in that assessment we gave them at the beginning of the semester. It, it doesn't work if you don't keep track of it. So it requires a bit of planning and foresight on that part, uh, the same within the classroom. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, one, th one connection, well, I think we'll get down this rabbit hole a little bit here. Actually, I wanna hear from you with this question first before I go down that rabbit hole. Um, in your opinion, what separates a great coach from a, from a good coach? I don't know, I'm still trying out to figure out how to be a good coach. Um, I think if we like thinking about other great coaches, um, I think one of the thing that separates a good coach from a great coach is just the, the level of care for the individual. So the, the best coaches 
there's a lot of different styles of coaching on the field. So whether it's like the way that coach carries out practice or whatever, but I think the one thing um, studying some pretty well-known coaches and the best coaches is that they're very good with the people, the people aspect of being a coach. Um, they're just good at connecting with their players on a personal level and caring about their whole life and not just them being winning a game or being able to be the right part to win the game, I guess. Yeah, I completely agree. The relationship piece and being transformational as opposed to transactional is, is super uh, important. And, and that's something that, like you said, that the teachers that you had that pushed you, but also cared enough to make things engaging and, and to make it a classroom and a setting that is open and engaging is crucial. I mean, I mean, I was a student once. Those are the classes I like being in. And, and if you add on a teacher that, that cares about my well-being and wants to know about me, man, I'm bought in. I mean, you've, you've got me. You've hooked me. I'm, I'm going to come in the class every day fired up. And then you have those teachers and coaches who, you know, just kind of there. It's not about, it's not about, you know, in their opinion, it's not about the students or the players, just about them, you know, and, and that's just not how quality relationship happens. It's, you have to meet people at halfway. And as you said, the, the best uh, coaches out there are the ones that do that and build on relationships. That's awesome. So what is something, uh, what, sorry, here's my question. Uh, what has been your favorite memory so far in coaching and why? This is a really hard question. Somebody asked me this recently and I spent a long time thinking about it. I, I think it's a hard question because there's not one moment that shines through. It's a lot of the little moments, the moments when player pulls you aside to tell them, tell you that they're excited they passed the test that they took or um, you asked the player a question about their game. This one, this one I think is unique to me. I've asked a couple other coaches about it. Um, it's like the moment when a player realizes that I know what I'm talking about and that I care about what they're doing in their player development. Um, over the summer, I went and watched a player uh, pitch and I asked him a question about something really small that you probably wouldn't have noticed um, unless you've watched him play a couple times. Um, and he like looked at me like you noticed that kind of thing and he was like excited that I, I noticed a little uh, something he tried to try that was new for him um, so I think those moments it's like a look that a player will give me when they, they realize like oh, okay she knows what she's talking about um, that doesn't happen with every player some players trust me right away some take a little longer um, but those are the moments that are my favorite um, or even just a joke that somebody made in the dugout during a game or something like that. Those are the, the best moments. Um, hopefully we'll have a big moment like winning a national championship or something that'll eventually happen. And I can say that as my answer, but for now, it's just the little moments. Well, one thing that's really cool with, with the, the story about the player there is, A, it showed that, of course, it showed that you knew what you're talking about. I think the most important aspect of that that stood out to that player was that you remembered them and, and that showed that you cared enough about them that you remembered um, what that player was practicing on, working hard on. 
And, and I think that, you know, as a former player, that would have stood out, stood out to me. And I would appreciate that because, hey, you know, she came here to watch me play. And also she cared enough about me to remember what I've been working on and noticing, you know, improve that. And that's, that's powerful. I mean, and that's something that, you know, once they get back to um, the team in the fall, that's something that they'll be fired up to even uh, to continue taking those next steps and, and to know that, um, that you noticed that player was improving. So that's really cool. And, and here's the thing um, that stood out to me is you're, you're doing what the best in the world are doing in regards to continuing to learn and also to um, buy into relationship building and, and, and diving into understanding who the, who the person is in the uniform. And that's, that's super, super important. That's so my next question. Kind. I'm sorry. I was, no, you're good. I was just say that's very kind, but I think that's what's expected of us at UC. Um, that's that's the environment that we're in, and that's the way that every single coach at UC is. And I think we would not be there very long if that wasn't the way we were. So, but thank you. No problem. It's it's uh, it's how coaching should be. It's an uh, environment to to grow young people into uh, fantastic adults. Because at the end of the day, they're going to be uh, married. They're going to have children, and and their legacy is is how they uh, made other people feel and what they did for others. And um, coaching is just a vehicle for for that. And you guys are doing a, a fantastic job. So this question here might be might be a little difficult but I think I think you're up for it um, so what is the most important thing that you think you learned in school that has helped you as a person uh, I'd have to say how to ask a good question um, I'm not sure where exactly I learned it but a combination of different different classes like I was saying at the beginning my favorite types of classes were the science classes and the more hands-on classes um, and I think those type those subjects teach you or teach students how to ask better questions how to ask good questions um, and then how to continuously ask a question to find the answer you're looking for um, sometimes when you ask a question it isn't the right question to ask and knowing when to change the question in order to learn what you're trying to learn. Um, I think yeah. that's still one of the hardest things as a coach that I'm still trying to learn. I think things are getting, I think as years go by, things get easier, but man, that is the questioning aspect of it is so, so hard. I think, I'm trying to think which coach I was listening to in an interview but they flipped the script based off from telling to just completely asking questions uh, to their players. So uh, the end result is, is through inquiry and asking questions that um, the student or player becomes their own best coach because, you know, that person understands themselves pretty well because they feel things, whereas the teacher or coach um, is just observing. And, and so, um, yeah, I totally agree with, questioning and it's man it's hard but it's but it's worthwhile totally worthwhile yeah i i had a conversation with one of our other coaches at uc not that long ago um a couple weeks ago and we were talking about exactly that when 
when you allow players to take control of their development, it it's it's a little bit scary as the coach because it doesn't feel like coaching, even though you are um, you're you're more guiding than you are telling, and it doesn't feel like coaching as much as if you stood up there and said this is the proper way to do it instead of saying, okay, what's the proper way to do this? How are we going to figure out what's the best way and allow the player to figure it out for themselves? But I think that's, I I don't know. That's the difference. In, maybe that's the answer to the question earlier, a difference in a good coach and a great coach. Not sure. Well, I think there's some vulnerability there that, man, that's so hard to do because you, especially as a young coach, you want to feel like, you have a bunch of answers, but in reality, you don't. And, and telling players and, and students that you don't know the answer, I think brings a lot of respect out of them. But I think you have to follow that I don't know with, I'll learn that, I'll learn it as soon as class is over with or as soon as practice is over with. And once you come back with that answer, I think there's a huge amount of respect. And on top of that, there's also an excitement to come back to class or to come back to practice because that teacher or coach has taken time out of their day, out of their 24-hour cycle um, to make uh, sure that that question uh, is answered. So, excellent. I think, I think you're right on that. That might be, and who knows? I mean, there's a million answers to the great and good. You know, what's a separator? Because it's so close. Um, but I think you're on to something there with it. Um, so, um, I got a couple more questions here before I open it up to our viewers. Um, this is kind of a new question. I didn't put it on the question list, but uh, Dr. Lewis asked it last week to coach Kyle Wagner and I really liked it. And so we're going to, we're going to want to ask that question this week. Um, is there any hidden talents you'd like for us to know about? I don't know about hidden talents, but this probably doesn't qualify as a hidden talent, but I was in the color guard in college um, basically twirled the flag. I was not very good at that. There's a very, very embarrassing video of me on YouTube where I had like a fake hair piece in and it falls out. But, you know, uh, I guess that's sort of a hidden talent. <laughs> well, I'll tell you this. It's it's a lot, um, you know, Kyle, throw Kyle under the bus. They couldn't come up with one. And whatever it was, I told him, I said, whatever your hidden talent was, you have to show it to the people. So um, we don't have to show the people the video. Uh, we're not we're not letting the people know. <laughs> no, it's fine. I don't care. It's, we can post it. It's, it's bad. Everyone's like, my, my aunt was in the crowd and she was like cracking up and everyone else is trying not to laugh. And the judges on the judges tape were, just making they like trying to be serious but they're all just like they couldn't focus for the rest of the, the show so it'll it was bad it was finals too for like this big competition or whatever so whatever <laughs> well it makes a memory and the best thing is is vulnerability comes through the airwaves with you which is awesome that's a great trait to have in the profession you're in and that's another trait that, that a lot of coaches, I've challenged them, coaches and teachers, be vulnerable around your students and your players because, man, it, it just allows you to be authentic and makes things a lot more fun because you can just be your real self. You don't have to have to be fake around others. That's awesome. Um, 
my, my last question before I open it up to everyone else is what are some of your favorite resources such as books, podcasts that have helped you in coaching or really in life, you know, be, be a better person? Um, so the book that I recommend to everyone is it's called The Man Watching and it's about um, UNC women's soccer coach Anson Dorrance. It's written by one of his assistant coaches, but it's his story of and their um their just their concepts and how they are so good. Um the UNC women's soccer team has won almost every single national championship that they're I think they've lost like three in the 25 years or whatever it is that there have been women's soccer national championships. So um and he's been the coach the whole time and it's about him as a coach, his methods, his thoughts on um, coaching. I think there's a lot of good lessons that are good for teachers and coaches in there. Um, he coached the men's team and the women's team. So some of the stuff that he says about the differences in coaching men and women um, was helpful for me coaching in a, in a sport in men's sports when all of my experience, well, most of my experiences um, were in women's sports. So that's super helpful. Um, and I think that relates to teaching, especially because it's not just about the differences in, in, in boys and girls, but also different backgrounds and the way people are raised, which I know a lot of educators probably struggle with when they first start teaching, especially if they're in a area teaching that's different from how they were raised so that book is definitely highly recommended um i'm sure there are other books but that's always my my go-to recommendation it's awesome i'll have to check that out i'm going to write that down and put that on my uh to read list um i think as you know i think we were talking the other night about um pat summit's book um and especially what, what hit me there was um, she grew up in a very um, rural town and and really didn't know uh, much about city life. And uh, when she went to UT Martin, um, she was intimidated uh, because most of the students there were had a different perspective and grew up differently from her. Um, so, but but what was really cool is her her friends that she made helped her um, recognize that how she grew up um, should be considered a blessing. And I think as coaches and and teachers. We need to understand that uh, different perspectives and be happy for those um, that bring those different perspectives because it may change our thinking for the better. So that's awesome. Yeah, I, I started reading the book the other day, but I'm only like two chapters in, I think. So I have to let you know how it goes. Yeah, you'll really like it. Um, it's um, very helpful in regard. I mean, there's just some thoughts that there's some things that that the best in the world do and you, you can see it, but it's also cool to hear their stories. And she has a pretty interesting story. It's almost for me right now, it's almost addicted reading because um, it's interesting to see how she grows. So that's all the questions that I have. Are there any questions that or comments that anyone has um, here on the chat? think we're good then all right beth i appreciate you coming on the show um you brought in a fantastic story a fantastic perspective that i think will not only help co help coaches but it'll help teachers 
Um, and I can't wait to continue to learn and grow um, from you. And excited to see you guys play in the spring and practice soon. Yeah, thanks for having me. Always a pleasure talking to you. It was a blast. It was a blast. So again, thank you guys for being on. And I'll see you next week.